In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful. Good afternoon, welcome, assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. From Friday Drive Time Show with myself, Kayum, and my usual partner in crime, Brother Daniel. And today we have been joined by a new young Imam, Imam Usman Ali. Good afternoon, assalamu alaikum, gentlemen, peace be on you all. Peace be on you as well. Uh, really lovely to be here. Uh, young, uh, definitely. New, I'm not so sure about it, Imam Osman. So, uh, how new or old are you? Um, when did you graduate? So I graduated in 2022. I spent the year in Islamabad and then I've started okay, here since... Fairly new then, yeah. A couple of months, yeah. Okay, right. That's that's all right. And I'm sure you're probably used to the question, how tall are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, six foot five. Six foot five, mashallah. Yeah. That's mashallah. That's uh, yeah. That's tollish. <laughs> somebody who's no, five, listen, five eight. Some for, uh, I'm five seven and a half. The half is very important. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's key. It makes or breaks everything. Yes, I know. So for for six five, by yes. the grace of God, you know, you have a good height on you. Yeah, but good. let's let's not do the typical Friday thing and go off on tangents. It has it's good good week, gentlemen. Yes, it's been a lovely week, very productive uh, week, uh, very productive start to the year, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of God. Uh, yeah, to, to 2024 is upon us and yeah. uh, uh, time flies and before we know it, it'll be Christmas. It will be, yes. <laughs> 23 kind of disappeared fairly quickly. Correct. Um, but the year has started with uh, with rain, wind, floods, so we are in England. But with that, let's go on to our. Uh, let's move on to uh, the the topic uh, that we're going to be discussing for the next two hours. We've got two topics. The first hour, uh, strange topic, uh, considering that there's going to be three men who are going to be uh, talking about it. The topic is Muslim women, action on education, empowerment, and peace. We will try our best and to do justice with this topic. That's something we're going to be talking about between four and five, and we're going to be talking to some guests. Uh, who will shed some light um, and some substance into the topic from five o'clock onwards? We're going to be talking about the ultimate book, the the guide for mankind. We're going to be talking about the Word of God. We're going to be talking about the Holy Quran. If you are interested in any of these topics, if you have a view on any of these topics, if you have a view on any things we say, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call, 0208-687-7878. If you don't want to talk, if you just want to be a keyboard warrior, then feel free to go onto our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. So, Brother Daniel, if I may, Muslim women, what, what's the gist? What are, we, what, are we, what are we going to be talking about today? Firstly, I, uh, just to respond to what you said, I think it's only befitting that three men are actually talking about women's empowerment. And I think this uh, this probably is a tribute to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well, uh, where every man, literally every man that I know of, anyways, and I can you know I can vouch for most men, if not every man, man in um, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community who wants their sisters and and daughters to be educated, and mothers, and, uh, and mothers. Uh, I, I I'll be honest with you. When I was at college, mum was at college with me. Right. If in the in the eighties there was a lot of the Amdi women uh, who had come from the subcontinent who were educated had their qualifications from uh, from the subcontinent they came here and they, because the, their some of their qualifications weren't recognised they actively went to colleges uh, local colleges adult colleges they updated their education 
and sure. uh, um, and they were active members uh, to to get themselves um, active members of within the working community and within the the local community. And and you know we all need support. Uh, we need to, we need to support each other, and men need to support women. Uh, in their educational endeavors, in their empowerment, um, to achieve peace is what we're talking about. To achieve peace at home, to achieve peace in the society, and um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's um, it's very opportune that we are today talking. I, about I agree with you. I think it's it's good you you've mentioned that. The reason I actually said three men, men because you don't need that's to defend the, yourself. That's Kayum. the I'm not Brother defending Kayum, myself. That's, that's all a, right. You know, it's uh, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it it's the society we live in because. When, when uh, you know, th- that's the first attack uh, people tend to make on Islam, that yeah. it's always men who are always talking about women and women never get to hear their voice and men decide for women. Hence my naive, innocent comment. No, which... that's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll forgive you for that. Uh, <laughs> Thank and, you so much. <laughs> Thank you so and much. And on that very note, let's go to our first guest for this segment, who is Stina Pham, uh, CEO, CEO of Bezo. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. Lovely to have you. Um, so if I can start by asking you, tell us a little bit about Bezo first. So Bezo is an organization that provides um, services for women, mainly from BME backgrounds facing domestic abuse. Uh, we're based in Wales. We're a pan-Wales organization um, our head office is in Cardiff, but we have um, offices and um, in uh, Newport, uh, Cardiff, Swansea, Wrexham, and refuges and safe houses across Wales. Right. And um, if I may, what is generally the um, the ethnicity that you find among the BME, that's most um, in need of your help? Well, there, um, it varies. Um, we deal with uh, women who are recent arrivals into the UK. Mm. Um, we deal with um, those who are born here uh, and have grown up here um, from the... Um, from Asia, from the um, Indian subcontinent, right. from Africa, uh, from Europe as well, uh, we, um, e- uh, Eastern uh, European countries, from Ukraine. So um, a significant number uh, come from uh, Asia, uh, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, but um, we also have large numbers from Africa yeah, almost sounds um, uh, sounds anachronistic. That is, is it? Is it something that's still very prevalent? Domestic abuse of women in UK society today in twenty twenty four. Sadly, it is, hmm. and it remains um, one of the major killers of women within the UK. Um, statistics show that uh, two women are killed every week. Um, as a result of domestic violence. If, if, if I may ask a question, um, is the, you, you spoke of domestic violence, and is, is this a cultural thing, or is it the society we're living in? 
or is it a is it a mixed mixture of both? I think it is a multi a multifaceted issue. I mean, it certainly is a global issue, um, and um, indeed, addressing violence against women and girls is one of the um, UN uh, development goals. Uh, goal goal number five, which uh, addresses tackling violence against women and girls. So it is a global phenomena and a global problem. Um, and part of it, I, I think, when we look at it, is the not only is it uh, cultural um, in, in some aspects, but there is a, a high degree of intersectionality in terms of addressing issues of um, violence when it comes to women from BME backgrounds. And and what's the what's the solution? What's the beginning of the solution? Because the solution it's easy to say what's the solution, but what I mean is what's the beginning? Because this is the solution is a long process. It's about patience and time. Because I tend to find and the reason I ask I in my, in a previous life I used to house. I was involved in housing and and I used to house um, women who were abused and children who were abused and and that was. To get to the point where women were recognized by the system that they were actually being physically abused was a nightmare for women. Has has it changed? And I'm going back late 90s, early 2000s. Has that changed? Has the system changed? Because if the system isn't geared up for it, how do we tackle the problem? Yes, well, um, the solution the problem, as you've put it, is multifaceted. Um, it, it's, some of the solutions will come from the state, some will be communities taking responsibility for um, a crime that goes on essentially behind closed doors. Yeah. And that's part of the challenge. The silence. Um, the, the, absolutely, the silence. And I think to some extent... Um, speaking as someone from a Muslim background myself, who was not born in the UK, um, the cultural binds mm. and those cultural contexts which are imported, and to which we feel we have, uh, we must have loyalty to, even though the reality is that those um, those practices um, are not conducive. With 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 modern day um, rights and and modern day ways well, of living. I agree. I mean, I think culturally, the cultural habits are in total contradiction of the practice um, of, of, especially within Islam. That um, Islam is about women's rights, whereas culturally, um, unfortunately, there is a there are way too many cases where um, where the the, the silence uh, is always uh, um, is always a problem. And we don't say it enough that silence makes you complicit. Yes, it's understanding that um, complicitness. And it was interesting listening um, to your previous speaker that what we have found in a a recent report that Balzo produced on forced marriage, that often uh, mothers, sisters, um, you know, women are also complicit in enabling uh, perpetration of violence in the home, and it's about raising awareness on these on these practices. Have you found that uh, there is a connection between 
education or lack of and um, uh, domestic violence and by education you know i specifically mean academic education we haven't found that um because often um the practices that we've identified are very deeply rooted in in cultural loyalty but what we are finding is through awareness raising and um enabling uh gender equality you know providing women with the tools to have agency over their lives that is having results on ending violence against women or indeed reducing the the probability of women becoming victims of violence Tina, this is probably a question I should have asked at the onset. What's what does BAWSO stand for? Black um, Black Association Women's Organization. Right, and and is that your 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 focus? Because you did say that you focused on BME. We we focus on BME um, indeed. That has that has been our focus since we started in 1995. But sadly, the nature of violence and the nature of which in which uh, people are being exploited that is um, increasing. So we're seeing um, human trafficking um, and modern slavery. and and this is an area in which we also provide support but in doing so we're noticing that a lot of the uh, survivors and victims that we're dealing with are men white and some even white british if i could broaden this discussion a little bit in 2024 how would you define women empowerment I think that you you referenced in 2024 but I think that for us it's a continuum of what we've been doing and are determined to continue to do and that is supporting women wherever they may be and at whatever stage um mm. they may be in their journey Now to clarify that what I mean is that as you've rightly said that some w- women may be living in situations where they are not aware that they are victims of violence they may not uh, be aware that the situations the reality of their lives are such that are infring- infringing their rights but whatever at whatever point um they become aware we as an organization are there to support them and it that could in, involve providing safe refuge it could involve advocating for them within the system and, and to government it could involve their own learning and once they find their feet and begin to have agency over their lives we we provide those safe havens where they can then get a job or go back into education until they um are ready to um you know uh, you know fully stand on their own feet and start start 
or restart their own lives. So it is very much about support and enabling. That's that's what we do. When you say that this is a continuum, do you do you mean or are you inferring that the challenges that you faced or somebody like you faced in 1982 are the same as in 2024? Well, the sad thing is domestic violence continues. Mm. The stories we hear, the evidence we have, um, the practices that are continuing, sometimes uh, practices that started outside the UK are continuing within the UK. So that is the sad truth. Would would that, without sounding sounding pessimistic, would that mean that we are not making any progress? We're making progress, but um, we need to make uh, uh, progress much faster. Um, What's the hurdle? What's the main hurdles that you face? It's very much about um, attitudes. It's very much about uh, perpetration of violence against women. Uh, The uh, belief by some in our society that, um, uh, you know, violence against women is something that... that, um, Everybody uh, talks about it, but nobody's willing to do anything about it. Everyone talks about it. But again, as I stress, this is a, a crime mm. that takes place behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, sadly, in terms of the experience of victims uh, of, of violence, is that there often is a shame or victims don't know where to turn. Sometimes it can be explained away. So there are many, many forces against agencies like Balzo in helping, supporting uh, women who are facing violence, especially those in the home. Dina, if I were to ask you to to draw up for us an avatar, maybe, uh, of an empowered woman <laughs> today, what would that look like? I think that it, it's going to be different for every woman. And I and I, 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 I stress that there isn't a rightness or a wrongness. Mm. You know, it may be, um, you know, being a homemaker, maybe what, you know, what a woman seeks to achieve. It may be working outside the home. It may be a career. It may be a high-powered career. It may be a community career. Um, but it's a, a woman being able to fulfil her talents, to her community, to her children, to herself, and not being undermined or limited in any way. You know, a woman being able to um, have that ambition for her life, I think, is is ultimately uh, what we hope to achieve. And absolutely, absolutely, no one woman should feel in, in fear of her life. Mm. Of course, I think um, that's, yeah, that's at the at the sort of the very basic level. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. What, one question. <clears throat> Tina, you talked about empowerment and enablement. Yes. Now, 
I presume these are the the, the empowerment and enablement comes through training, through discussion groups, through even therapy sessions. Is there ever faith used to empower women to give the true interpretation of faith? And I and the reason I ask that is based on what I said earlier that a lot of people. Uh, confuse and mix cultural practices with religion. Whereas I know within Islam, um, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, you know, he was a beacon for the, the women's rights, uh, you know, uh, and but that interpretation has never really, it, it never, it's never uh, spoken about enough. Whereas the cultural habits of certain countries uh, get uh, precedence. Um, and, and get misinterpreted into being called Islamic practices, especially, um, you know, um, uh, oppression of women or suppression of women. Is faith ever used as uh, as a tool to empower, enable women uh, to, 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 to move forward? Well, uh, in my own career, I have worked in um, Iraq, um, uh, Morocco, Pakistan, um, India. Um, so I've encountered uh, very successful women from from many different uh, uh, religious backgrounds, and and have been highly impressed um, by them and their journeys. So I I personally do not believe that faith or religion needs to uh, you know form any any limitations. And we shouldn't um, blame religion in that way. However, that said, I think that in terms of empowerment, part of empowerment is clarity of information. And one of the roles that Balzo is looking to um, develop further in, in, this, in this new year is our relationships with places of religious worship across Wales to really work in partnership um, with them because um, we know that they are more than just places that people go for worship. They have social um, and, and um, uh, community elements and they are often important reference points for communities. Balzo has grown on its uh, link, deep deep link with um, the BME community across Wales, and we are representatives of those communities amongst our staff. So it is um, really important to us now to reconnect with those communities, and by doing so, amplify what those um, uh, religious, um, different religious organisations bring to communities and how they can help us in our work. Finally, Tina, if somebody wants to uh, report violence, if somebody wants to assist or volunteer, what what can the layman uh, do out there for Bowso or for, for the struggle? Well, one of the most important things, and that's a, a, an excellent question, um, uh, thank you, because we are always uh, keen to promote our services as, um, 
uh, you know, accessible to any woman facing uh, domestic abuse. So we have a 24-hour helpline. Um, that telephone number is 0800-731-8147. And that is, uh, uh, you know, there's somebody at the end of that uh, 24 hours. Um, in terms of our organization, we have um, many fundraising events. Um, so uh, there are many ways to engage in our work and support us. We have a, a volunteers program, and we are always looking for volunteers in our refuges and our safe houses. And we also have um, a number of vacancies which if um, any of your listeners uh, are moved to support us in our work, uh, no, please do consider joining us you know, in our fight against ending violence against women and girls. And what's your website, Tina? Our website is www.bowzo.org.uk. Fantastic. Tina, thank you so much for taking time out and coming on to the Drive Time Show. I wish you, uh, I wish you luck. I wish, uh, I wish, all the uh, all everyone's prayers are with you uh, for the Thank fantastic you. work you do for the protection of women. May God bless your hard work. Um, until we speak again, peace be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and I wish you all the best Thank for the year so ahead. And to you. Thank you, Tina. Let's go now straight to our um, second guest for this afternoon who is Olivia Darby. <coughs> uh, Olivia is Wonder Foundation's Chief Programs Officer and also its co-founder. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Hi, thank you so much for having me and happy Lovely. new year. Happy new year to you too. Lovely to have you, Olivia. Um, can I start off by asking, um, how do you feel, what to your mind is the correlation between women's uh, empowerment and education? Well, I think education um, is such an important thing for um, women to be able to make good choices and to be able to have agency in their lives and to be able to, to truly thrive and flourish, which is, I think, what all of us want for, for everybody. Um, and, and we as Wonder are working towards particularly for women because often, as I think we know, um, women have fewer opportunities to access education and to really find the way to contribute their talents and to make the most of them. Um, how important do you feel it is for girls to have their own spa safe spaces to help them flourish? Yeah, I, that's a really good question. And I think what I'd like to say is I, I can imagine that all of us remember the first day when we, we started school and whether it was primary school, secondary school, university, um, and how it felt that first day, you know, how nervous we were, um, how important it was maybe to have someone that we loved with us accompanying us on that journey, how important it was that first person that we met, whether they welcomed us, um, whether they smiled at us, whether they um, made us feel that we were significant. Um, and I think having safe spaces where women can learn is fundamental um, to our, our ability to learn um, you know, for all of us, whether we're, we're from more privileged families or we're more vulnerable, 
starting an ed uh, education can be scary um, and creating a place where we feel that we have the confidence to ask questions, where we feel able to make the most of that opportunity is so important to our success. Um, but a lot of the women and girls that Wonder works with um, are not women and girls who, who have that privilege. They may come from backgrounds um, where they have faced, you know, ongoing trauma or instances of severe trauma. They may be refugees. Um, they may be living every day in very dangerous circumstances in, in violent cities. Um, so finding a place where they can feel truly safe and be able to um, feel calm and able to make the most of that learning opportunity is, is really important if they're you know, going to come every day, come back to make what can be quite a dangerous journey sometimes just to get into the classroom in the first place. So, yeah, finding a, a place where women can be safe um, is so important. And beyond feeling safe, I think it's feeling significant, something we really notice that the spaces that we give to people um, can recognize their dignity or they can shame people. You know, if we invite someone into our home and our home is dirty, people don't feel valued and they don't feel loved. And it's the same, you know, often the spaces that we give to more vulnerable people to learn in are not clean spaces and they're not beautiful spaces. They're, they're places that are maybe a bit dirty and that can, that can then confirm for the women in those, in those um, schools, in those colleges, that you know, they're not really significant, they're not really valuable people, um, and we want to inspire people. So safety and feeling significant is so important for that. Well, if we have a thriving organization within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and it's called Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association, mm -hmm. and um, the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association, as I said, is a thriving, very robust organization. Um, they hold their own programs and they have mm. uh, um, um, events that they um, they hold. And we often get criticized, actually, uh, mm. from the press uh, when they have an event, a women's only event. Why is it? Why are men not there? Why is it segregated? Uh, mm. And we, our point of view always is that it's a safe space for them. That's what they want to do. Um, mm. That's how they thrive. Um, what would you say to to people who <laughs> criticize um, and you know an event or um, an organization which which actually works to create those very safe spaces that we've been talking about? Yeah, it is a really good question. Um, I think it's always interesting, you know, if an event is serving the people. Um, who it's meant to serve and they're enjoying that, that activity mm. and it's meaningful to them, you know, why should someone else from outside say that it shouldn't happen? Um, and I think we see this in, in our work, particularly around ESOL, um, of, you know, people learning English um, and women learning English. We've often had this conversation with um, people saying, oh, but, you know, women particularly migrant women, when they come to this country, you know, they need to learn to be with men and the men need to learn how to behave around women. And I've always thought, well, that's really unfair to women. Like they're here to learn English mm. and they're here to have a meaningful social experience. They're making new friends. That is very valuable in and of itself. And the activity doesn't need to do more than that. 
you know, if the women are more comfortable learning in a place where they're just with women, they should be allowed to do that because the function of that activity is for them to have English to use in whatever way they wish to use it for their own flourishing and sort of for the flourishing of their family. Um, so, you know, why complicate things, you know? Um, I agree with you. My, I sometimes fail to understand it's a given fact for decades. Mm. Girls, um, girls' schools and colleges uh, perform, outperform co-ed schools and colleges, especially when it comes to girls. The, yeah. the level of the results that girls are achieving when they're in single-sex schools, mm-hmm. for decades, they've, uh, mm-hmm. they, they've outperformed um, schools where the, the boys and girls are mixed. Um, and that's uh, it's it's been within the education system. Yet, in the name of equality, we are we are talking against a system which gives equality, and as you rightly say, gives safe space to girls and women where they can thrive. Why yeah. is why is that? Well, I I can't answer the why of that. All I can speak is from my experience. Um, as a woman myself, and from my experience working with with Wonder, I mean, we our projects are um, really re- led by women for women. We're working now in twenty three countries. Um, as a girl myself at school, at an all girls school, um, I really felt that there was nothing I couldn't do because nobody was telling me that a certain activity was for boys and another activity was for girls. For us, all activities were things that we could and were encouraged to excel in. Um, and I think in our projects, you know, we see that we're creating places and spaces where women can come together and can thrive. And not every woman wants to be in a place that's only for women. And um, that's fine. And many other people are delivering activities that are for men and women together. And that's great. There are many great activities. But for us, um, in our work, we do see that there is an important um, role that women-only spaces play um, and that um, creating spaces where women can really feel free together, can exchange um, their experiences that often, you know, even in the UK, we still live in an often very gendered society. Um, it's really important that activities serve women in the way that women wish to be served and uh, allow women to learn in ways that women want to learn. And that's very important for us. Sure. I'll give you another example, Olivia. So mm-hmm. um, uh, the Ahmed Muslim Women's Association uh, that I was talking about recently arranged a program for uh, the students within the community and okay. um, uh, the female students. So, um, uh, so b- uh, two of my daughters, um, one is 20 and the other is 18, they both went mm-hmm. along. It was an off-site event. It was, uh, you know, two or three days uh, up in um, Hertfordshire, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, they had uh, they had a lot of fun because they, they, you know, they could be themselves. They they knew that they were not being uh, they didn't uh, they were not being objectified. They um, mm-hmm. they were very safe and they were very comfortable, as you said, in that. And they had uh, they had loads of fun when when they come back. The point that I'm trying to raise is that. Uh, in in the society that unfortunately we live in, something like that is almost looked down upon. You know, if boys are not there, or if it's not a, unless it's a mixed gathering, um, it's uh, it's 
you know, it's something that uh, is uh, is not considered fit for purpose almost. Uh, and the question, therefore, I have for you is, is that setting the would an attitude like that set the women empowerment movement back? I mean, I think it's really interesting because my experience actually is, is a bit different from yours. And I, I find it interesting that people are, crit are criticizing um, an opportunity for women to spend time together and to grow in skills mm. and to build relationships. Um, earlier in the year, I was a speaker at a conference in the Netherlands, a very international activity. Um, and it was a uh, essentially a retreat, a professional retreat for um, women, professional women. And there were so many women there from so many, you know, quite prestigious um, professional backgrounds, uh, wealth of experience, um, many different um, ethnic and national backgrounds who were working in the Netherlands, who were coming together to, um, you know, to reflect on, the, on their experience as women and to, to think about how they could grow um, in the workplace and how they could balance their personal and professional work. And I think in, in my experience, there is really an appetite um, amongst women from many backgrounds, not every woman, of course, um, to participate in activities like this and to, to really think how they can balance their personal and professional lives and how they can thrive as a woman in the workplace. Um, so, I mean, I hope for as long as women want activities like this, there will be activities like this, but I think it is something, you know, if women want that, you know, why can people, why should <laughs> why, why people should, criticize exactly, Why should we, they be deprived of it? Yeah, I mean, surely we have freedom, right? Yeah, exactly. Olivia, before I let you go, you, you mm -hmm. said you work in 23 different countries. Is this a, yeah. is this a third world problem? Or, or, or? Oh, I think, I think it's, um, I mean, I think it's a universal challenge. Mm -hmm. I think women everywhere want the chance to thrive. And wherever we are, women are balancing, you know, the different aspects of our lives. We're balancing our social relationships, our family relationships, our professional goals and relationships, our desires to, to, to do exciting things outside of work. Um, and that's really what we try to embed in all of our projects. We um, encourage um, each one of the participants in all of our projects um, to have a mentor, someone who can help them to identify what their goals are, you know, and who can help them to work towards meeting those goals. And those goals might be in any aspect of their life. Um, I think for us to thrive, we have to try to balance those things and to realize that None of us is just a kind of a professional person or a family person or a social person. We have to have all of those things in harmony in our lives in order to to truly be empowered and to truly feel that we are uh, have agency and are contributing and finding meaning. And, and is faith ever used as a tool for empowerment? Sorry, I didn't catch that. Is faith, religion is faith, ever used yeah. as a tool for empowering women? I mean, I think um, within our project, it's, you know, faith is something that we encourage. Okay. It's something that we um, would hope that um, the, the spiritual aspect of each person is something that they feel confident in integrating into their lives. We are a charity with 
a Christian background, but there are lots of girls from um, Muslim backgrounds also in our projects and helping them to see where their faith fits into who they are as a person and in finding that place where they can truly flourish is, is important. Yeah, the reason I ask that, there's, there's this, especially within the Western world, uh, the, the misconception that Islam, uh, you know, restricts women from doing anything. And, and, and the, whereas the true, the, the true teaching of Islam is all about equality, it's about encouraging women to educate. Um, and the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, was uh, was very um, was very clear on his teaching that uh, you know should you have to travel to China, you should travel mm. uh, for education and knowledge. And you know it wasn't subject to only men; it was to mm. everyone. So th- hence why I asked where the true interpretation of of, of uh, what religion um, actually says would would empower them automatically when when the religion is actually promoting education and and uh, and independence and equality yeah i i mean i'm i'm not an uh, an expert in in islam myself um and but i think all of us know amazing muslim women who are doing brilliant things and are um helping many other people to to flourish and discover their potential um who are inventing things who are leading things um and you know so I, I would hope that that tells the story that you are you are telling. You know, there are many brilliant Muslim women out there. Wonderful. Olivia Darby, Wonder Foundation's Chief, uh, uh, Chief Program Officer and co-founder, thank you so much for taking time out and telling us about the wonderful work that you do um, out there um, for, for women. Um, I wish you fantastic, fantastic, fantastic luck. Um, uh, all the prayers of all, everyone are with you for the fantastic work you do. May God bless you. Have a, a fantastic evening and a weekend ahead. May peace be with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. And that was uh, Olivia Darby. Two, two um, very proactive um, uh, founders of organizations who Absolutely. are doing fantastic work. And, and you know, who, who are in the, in the field, who have... Um, uh, really hands-on experience uh, about what is happening in in the, in that arena and um uh, you know here is olivia darby uh, who who says that uh, you know creating safe spaces for women is very important and yet you know when when we do that in our mosques and in in, in other areas uh, you know islam is often criticized uh, but uh, but i think you know that, that i agree with you um, that they do do that, but I think they lo- that's a, it's a losing battle. They're losing the battle because that this this notion that Islam you know oppresses women and, mm. and tells them and holds them back and they can't do this and they can't do that. Whereas especially within the Amdiya Muslim community, you know, if the, the, I, I would say the Amdiya Muslim community academically are far 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 ahead of of uh, a lot of the, the 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 you know the men's academic achievements yeah, yeah. um they are. the the professionals mm. um uh, from all all fields especially in medicine i mean the the i think the previous uh, president of the amdi muslim uh, women's association was a doctor and the and the new one who's just recently been elected is also a doctor correct yeah absolutely um, so you know it's professionals from all walks of life from all fields that are serving 
where within the the, the women and i think th- those people who actually come in and criticize uh, you know these uh, the idea of creating safe spaces should be really talking to these experts who are into this area who are talking to uh, these women uh, day in day out who have hands on experience in this field and listen to what they are actually suggesting well you know you you mentioned the safe space and so did olivia and so did tina we've come to a point where women want gym women only gyms because they feel more safe yeah they want uh within within the social circles they have they want their own activities mm. because they want to feel safe they, they you know they want to be able to go to a place where it's only them as is as women um um, who you know they want to enjoy themselves for whatever they want to do. They, be, they, they want to be comfortable, but they want to be comfortable yeah. within women, and uh, and then that is a growing trend, right? Um, you know, even in, in certain uh, you know in certain modern countries, that they, look at the hospitals, women only wards, men only wards. They don't want to be mixed. Mm. Um, so so it's a, it's it's something uh, that 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 is there, but the people who who criticize. They look for any excuse to that they want to target Islam because um, it's 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 trendy to do that. It's fashionable uh, to be Islamophobic. Imam Usman Ali, you wanted to come in. Yeah. I was just gonna say it's fun. Funny enough, you know, um, when we have jalsa and we invite um, the annual extra, convention, yeah, the annual yeah. convention when we have the guests coming, uh, sometimes they actually leave comments that we were surprised that we actually felt more comfortable in just being in the lady side yeah. because we felt more free and again as you were saying there was no objectifying and it just, it just felt more peaceful whereas maybe before when they were coming before they came they had this maybe preset notion or whatnot that maybe they're being oppressed or mistreated or, or given maybe a worse side or whatnot but when they came they actually realized that this is maybe the way forward as well it just shows that this isn't oppression if anything this is empowering without a doubt without a doubt but you know, I mean, Brother Daniel, I mean, you 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 made a relevant point about, you know, the the, the separation of women and treatment of women. But women, the people who tend to criticize Islam, uh, always within the Western within the Western domain, because they they seem to think that um, uh, that that these problems that Islam has, which it doesn't culturally, I would I would put my hand up and say, yeah, culturally there are issues. Religiously, no, religion is used as an excuse. Mm. To say that these problems exist when it doesn't, but if one was to look at uh, the Western world, the moral, the high ground, mm. why was there a Me Too movement? Mm. You know, it's it, because they sat there and they allowed things to happen. House of Law, uh, House of Commons. Well, a couple of a couple of uh, was it last year or so? These reports that are coming out, how women MPs are feeling scared uh, because um, because of. Uh, uh, because of the treatment that that uh, that women ministers you get know, to so, that point, uh, uh, yeah. brother came. If you look at uh, just uh, if you cast your eye on just a few areas, so there hardly isn't a profession. So the Me Too movement, so uh, that was in the area of acting. Mm. It started off there. Uh, there have been, as you say, recently talks about uh, this happening. Um, uh, the, the the pandemic uh, of sexual violence, I should say, within NHS. We've heard this happening in the police. We've heard uh, this happening in so in, in in teachers. We've heard this happening in schools. You know, is there hardly isn't there? We've heard this happening in concerts. Um, and you know, every every year there is um, you know one or two 
uh, new areas which which the world discovers where this has been going on for years if not decades so i think it's it's uh, it's almost foolish to uh, to criticize when somebody is actually trying to create a safe space where women can thrive and 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 just feel comfortable and just feel happy without a doubt there are some uh, there's an element of society who don't like thriving women because of their own insecurities and it's funny you mentioned that there's another side to this as well where in islam for example you know there are roles which some agenda may be more suitable to and the other agenda may be more suitable to the other roles for example nurturing <coughs> the child um and you know the upbringing of the kids if if the if the woman wants to decide to stay at home and look after the kids again if she is to decide that she wants to stay at home and look after her kids and nurture them they come home they have a fresh meal and when she you know takes them to school and she's there to see them in the morning and she's there with them and the house is well looked after that for some reason sometimes is looked down upon which is bizarre because motherhood is mega professional if one was to put it down on a piece of paper cuz you are you are a social worker you're a psychologist you're a mother and father well, you're a mother anyway times you're a fa- you're playing the role of the father you're the taxi you're the bank you're the <laughs> you're, you're the look at the if one was yes, to look yeah. at motherhood and put uh, uh put the professions that fit within motherhood the multitasking the multitasking 24 hours a day exactly 7 days a week so so when when people criticize it it it's bizarre because they can never justify the criticism because the skill set of motherhood is is not available it's if one was to put a costing on it mm-hmm. it it would be you know the top 100 the top 1% earners <laughs> if one was to put a a, a a remuneration package to it you know there was a social yeah. experiment done uh, a few years ago and they created a video out of it i'm sure uh, you know you guys and, and many of our listeners have probably seen it but it um, you know so the this company goes out and advertises for a position and uh, uh, when uh, the first interview is, is taking place the and the interviewer uh, says that you know this position let me tell you a little more more about this position so this position is actually uh, a 24/7 position so you won't be getting any breaks yeah. uh, this is a position in which you will have to perform m- many roles some of which you've just defined and then uh, uh, you know he finally says that you know sorry we we will not also pay you would you still like to join <laughs> this no sorry no we want to, would you like to find out uh, who actually there are millions of people actually in this billions of people probably in this profession in the world already so what really what is that profession that profession is motherhood so yeah it's there's a social experiment which is which is actually been done you know this is why in islam they say there is mother underneath your mum's feet you know they, they, there is there is jannah there is uh, heaven, heaven under, under yeah, your mother's feet it's, yeah. it's what did i say you said <laughs> you mother said, under the mother, mother's feet did i yeah, there you go yeah that's right there is that's there is yeah. you know the, yeah. there is you have to show your age brother I have to, so yeah, that's my fine age, yeah. that's fine <laughs> my yeah, hearing exactly. and, and my words I've come to really mixed you up. know being your core presenter for many years now i come yeah. to expect it almost so that's fine that's absolutely fine you know they say there's paradise under your mum's feet so if you uh, it is it is showing the respect within islam of motherhood that there is no uh, th- there is nothing above that the 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 upbringing that a mother gives to the child i mean if you if you think about it um from across the board i i i recall reading a book my mother by sir chaudhry zafar lahan yeah. and the the 
um, on 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 whom be peace uh, that you know the the respect that he gives mm. um, and the respect Islam gives to uh, the the, the post it is a post that's mm. given by God Almighty yeah mm-hmm. and um, there's a narration as well um, of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him mm-hmm. where he was asked who amongst the people is most deserving of my good treatment yeah and he said your mother and then again your mother and then again your mother three times yeah and then your father yeah and yet we're living in a society where motherhood is looked down upon and 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 and, and, and we're living in a society who will have who 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 tend to give the moral high ground as to know that they know better and then and, and and you know even within the feminist movements uh, motherhood is is looked down upon which which is bizarre which is bizarre uh, we are living in a world which is upside down, which was uh, the sign of when the Messiah was going to come anyway. So, <laughs> which is why the Ahmadiyya Muslim community uh, believes that the Messiah has come uh, some 120 odd years ago, uh, where the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Ghulam Ahmed, uh, came to to revive the true message. And the, and and one of those true messages of the Holy Prophet, with peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the rights of women the treatment of women within Islam, to give them the rightful place that they have within society, which is equal to men. And it was also our second caliph who, under whose reign we actually started opening schools for girls so they didn't have to travel far yeah. into other cities and towns. And even um, His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the worldwide MD Muslims community, he, he, he stated that, remember that the key for any nation to thrive and pro- progress lies in the hands of the mothers of that nation. There you go, you know, and if one was to go back in history, was it eighth century? The the in Fez, I think it is. The the university is still there. The first ever recorded university that was created was by Fatima Al. I I never I can never in ever. Spain. Yeah, it's 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 in Fez in Morocco. It, it's, Morocco. it's in Morocco. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's still there, okay. and the, oh, it was yes. opened by a a, a, a woman mm-hmm. for the benefit of women. And that university is still existing. And I think it was somewhere in the 8th century when within the, 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 the Western high moral society that we live in uh, supposedly um, uh, didn't even spell the word university, let alone open one. We are coming up to the hour. Um, we have been talking about um, women, uh, the role of women from an education point of view, uh, an empowerment point of view. Uh, we spoke to some fantastic guests um, who shed some... Uh, um, who, who raised and, and talked about some fantastic points and the fantastic work that they're doing around the world. We're going to go to a very quick break. I'm going to go listen to the news. And when we come back, we're going to go and talk uh, about the, the Word of God, which is the Holy Quran. Um, so do stay tuned, grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us after these brief messages. Allah, Allah. Welcome back to Friday Drive Time Show with myself, Kayum. Joining me today, Brother Daniel and Brother Usman. On to our second topic of the afternoon, which is the Word of God, the Holy Quran, the perfect guide. Um, and why is it necessary to read it? I'm sure uh, just about everybody knows that the Holy Quran is the is the Word of God that Muslims believe. Um, uh, is divine revelation 
it is the perfect guide um, which tells us how we need to live our life. It isn't uh, a segment of our life. It is our total life. Um, as I said, it is the word of God. It is divine guidance for humanity, not just Muslims. Um, and the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was an embodiment of the Holy Quran. So the word of God alone would have been just the word, but the Holy Prophet was the prophet of prophets, was the greatest of the prophets, and he lived his life as the word of God was said. So the Holy Prophet was a practical of the word of of the, of the words of God, which is why whenever we talk about Islam within Islam Ahmadiyya, we talk about it as a it's a way of life where God's words were lived by the Holy Prophet. It's practical. It's not just lip service. It isn't just saying things and not doing them, but it is saying and then doing them. Uh, they they go hand in hand. Um, it, if you know to to define a true and a proper way of life that's right that's one would you like to add to that yeah i just wanted to add in terms of the quran it's a it's a book which is you know even in the second uh, third verse of the second chapter i would say that it's a perfect book there's no doubt in it it is a guidance for the righteous and in terms of there being no doubt in it there's actually it's the only religious book which has claimed to be preserved but and be the word of god it god himself so even in another verse we find that um, basically, God Almighty tells us that He has taken its protection under His wing, and it's a book where, even if we were to read the comments of historians or whoever who's not even maybe even someone who's anti-Islamic, they would even they would have to agree that it's a book which hasn't been changed. And it's the only book really that can claim that it's exactly in the same words and exactly in the same state as it was when it was wrote about fourteen hundred years ago to the Holy Prophet. The first word that was revealed to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was what? What does that mean? Uh, recite, read. Read what? <laughs> Holy Quran. It's, it's all connected. They're, they're not random events. Hmm. You know, th th there was a set plan that, you know, the, the reading from, from, a, from a layman's point of view, for me, you're, you're a young man, but how I interpret it, to me, how it makes sense is, well, of course, the first word would be read because when we read today, I mean, because Islam wasn't a religion for, 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 for a brief moment. The holy book wasn't a book for that time. This was a book forever from, from, the, from the time it was revealed to the end of time. And that's a miracle of the Quran, the fact that it, there you it go. provides teaching for the rest of time where more and more meanings come out with time and it's applicable. So, I mean, even, for example, when, uh, for example, heaven is described, people might say, or for example, when it, I'll make it easier, let's say when it's talk about camels not being used, mm -hmm. we said that's a prophecy of when the uh, promised Messiah will come, and now we see that trains, it was fulfilled in trains. So what happens is, words and, and the way the Quran explains things, it's, it applies to all times, but it also makes it so that everyone was able to understand it. So even people at the time of the Holy Prophet, if you were to tell them a train would come, they wouldn't know what a train is. Well, yeah, so, I mean, if, if you look at I think it's, it's uh, traveling in a donkey, fire burning, yeah. setting on fire. Well, if one looks sitting at Sitting very comfortably inside. Yeah, and if one looks at an aeroplane, yeah. the, the, where's the fuel, which is on the belly? 
the belly. So the fire of the of, of the aeroplane is is on the on the fuel, and you're sitting comfortably in the plane, and it flies, and it travels from one place to another really quickly. Whereas in the olden days, you know, if if one was to look at that, hence why, unfortunately, in in today's day and age, people who haven't really understood religion for what it is, they still actually believe that uh, people a physical donkey will come. The, in that a physical mm-hmm. donkey will come. And uh, <laughs> you will be flying. It's funny. God, you know, God fun, forbid. Funny enough, actually, Al Hakam, they, they they've been going out recently and you know having um, sort of interviewing people about their beliefs. Yeah. And you can just see the disparity between different people. Yes. They're all, of course, both Muslims, but it's just because they don't haven't got that one guide, that one leader, that one imam to follow. Mm. So what happens is there's all different, and what happens is actually they, they said as well that you start off quite confident, and then when they're sort of queried about it a little bit more. They just don't know because one person says one thing and another says another. It, it's also important to say that people are reading. Uh, people are not reading the Quran themselves. Mm. They are following what somebody else has told them. Exactly. And and hence why the topic that uh, we, we are discussing today, why uh, it is necessary to read the Holy Quran. Let's now go to our first guest, who is Hafiz Fazlir Rabbi. Uh, he is a professor in the Institute of, Institute of Theology and Modern Languages in um, Hazelmere. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. <coughs> Assalamu alaikum. Peace be on you as well. Thank you very much um, uh, for joining us. Uh, let me start by asking you, we're talking about Quran. We're talking about the the guidance that uh, Quran offers. Um, how how does Quran offer uh, guidance which is practical, which can actually be implemented um, as you read, and you can implement it there and then the next day? And um, why is that essential in in and how relevant is that in today's day and age? Yeah, that's quite a good question. Uh, basically, the Holy Quran um, has claimed that uh, this is the book for the whole of uh, humankind. It's a hudalin nas, uh, guidance for mankind. And we see that uh, human beings are a combination of uh, body and uh, soul. Uh, in this uh, regard, the Holy Quran provides guidance clear guidance to our soul and to our physical body. And it provides us uh, guidance with regards to our uh, physical, point, physical, uh, ethical, and social, spiritual, and practical uh, matters. All these are provided by the Holy Quran. Um, in Surah Al-Anbiya, um, there's part 17. It starts with part 17, verse number 11, Allah Ta'ala says, that لَقَدْ أَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكُمْ كِتَابًا فِيهِ ذِكْرُكُمْ أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ That we have revealed this book to you, um, the Holy Quran, in which there is a great reminder for you, for your every need. أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ Why do you not exercise your uh, aql, your intellect, and uh, your power of uh, uh, exercising your uh, faculties? And also it says in the very beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, that there is absolutely no doubt, no doubt in this uh, guidance, in this book. And we know that the Holy Prophet Muhammad Wasallam has acted upon uh, the Holy Quran in letter and uh, essence, in letter and spirit, and uh, manifested that how Holy Quran could be 
implemented and uh, put into practice. We see that uh, we have been given the four kinds of body, the physical body, uh, about uh, maintaining our physical health, uh, how to eat, how to drink, what kind of drink, what kind of uh, 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 eating, I mean, the food we should take. The Holy Quran provides clear guidance why the, a person becomes ill and how the healing would come, all mentioned in the Holy Quran. What is the function of sleeping and waking? Then we have the social, emotional body, how we have to activate our uh, social uh, relations, show social activities in different uh, circles, how to speak, how to deal with individually, in the family, in the neighbors, and all uh, sections of the society and how the real satisfaction could come. And then we have the ethical body. The, the Holy Quran provides guidance with regards to our ethics, uh, about the honesty, about the justice, kindness, patience, uh, uh, humbleness, and forgiveness, all that. And also provides us the, uh, what are uh, bad things, the bad deeds, for example, the falsehood, the deception, the greed, and how to progress uh, in this uh, uh, ethical body as well. And in different uh, circumstances, how to deal and how to tackle those uh, situations. Then we have been given the spiritual body uh, in this world and for the next world especially. And the Holy Quran also provides all our uh, spiritual needs and the, the religious uh, needs, their, the guidance for that one what should be our connection with Almighty Allah, what is the concept of the life after death, how we can be muflihin, the true uh, prosperous people. So in short, in every kind of uh, the personality which we have given, which I mentioned the four kinds of uh, bodies, uh, physical, social, ethical, and spiritual, the Holy Quran provides uh, a complete guidance for that one. And especially in this time, the promised Messiah, the founder of the MDA Muslim community, has unfolded the deep secrets of the Holy Quran and, uh, and manifested in his uh, writings, in his knowledge, that how we can get the full maximum benefit from uh, the Holy Quran. And for individuals who have recently embraced Islam, what kind of guidance would you, would you offer regarding the significance of incorporating regular Quranic uh, reading into their new way of life? Yeah, the study of the Holy Quran is the great way to increase uh, our religious and uh, worldly knowledge. And uh, this is through, done through reflection, pondering over its meaning and uh, the questions which uh, the Holy Quran has raised. So for the physical um, uh, or mental uh, satisfaction, uh, the study of the Holy Quran is very, very uh, pivotal, very important, and it's the best uh, way of healing, uh, medicine, and treatment. So I would advise that uh, a new convert or any person basically uh, who wants to get benefit from the Holy Quran, he should, he should, uh, one should read the Holy Quran on daily basis, listens to, to the, the Tilawat, the recitation of the Holy Quran, take notes and try to memorize as much as uh, that person can. And then that should be included in the morning and uh, evening routine, uh, this kind.
because the study of the Holy Quran will lead that person to the foundations of uh, Islam. It will also inculcate uh, the taluk billah, the relationship and link, live link with the Almighty Allah, the nearness to Almighty Allah. His uh, he will be increased in uh, conviction, in trust in Allah. And whatever the matters of uh, the physical or um, the difficult matters of the life, uh, he will get the guidance in that one. And especially in the previously uh, short, uh, you know, I mentioned about the four bodies. The Holy Quran provides the nourishment, the guidance for every kind of our being, that one. And uh, one of the beauty, and I would personally say maybe thousand times I have witnessed that one, that from wherever you open the Holy Quran, right and left, you open the Holy Quran, and uh, uh, in a book that is the right and uh, left sides, it uh, provides you, it starts providing you the guidance there and then. Because in every page, it contains our past, our present, and future. In a, in a uh, personal level as well, and in a collective, in a social, and in a congregation, congregational level as well. And especially nowadays, we see that, you know, but there's more distractions with all these digital inventions and everything. And, and you know, people will say they're busy. So how can individuals sort of prioritize and integrate this regular recitation into their routines? Um, in this regard, I would advise that, first of all, we should have a sincere intention, niya. Because without proper niya, without proper determination and decision, we cannot do anything. We have to first decide in inside, and then we do something uh, physical or any anything which we have to decide first. So in this regard, if we are studying the Holy Quran, we have to make a sincere intention to Almighty Allah that we are uh, we are uh, approaching the Holy Quran with taking the guidance from the book of Almighty Allah. As we know that uh, there is no proof of uh, fasting. If, if, if I am keeping fast, nobody knows that I am keeping fast. Only I can manifest that I have taken fast because this is a personal matter with me. The niya is inside, the deep down in the, in the soul. And when you make an intention like, you know, I am keeping fast or not, uh, then uh, this is the same way with the study of the Holy Quran. So I would say that uh, the study of the Holy Quran should be connected to your uh, your, your essentials, your necessities, like uh, uh, eating and drinking, meaning you have to eat to survive. You have to drink to survive your physical body. So if we, um, you know, to make a routine uh, of the study of the Holy Quran connected to our eating and drinking, meaning that, for example, if I say I... I have to take breakfast, but uh, the, the price for that breakfast that I would study one page or two page from this and that. So in, in this way, as the necessities of life, that will become the routine of your life as well. So this could be done with the recitation of the Holy Quran, study of the Holy Quran, make a target on daily basis, and then you start your uh, life in the beginning as you start with the breakfast or uh, your uh, lunch or or your dinner. So similarly, the Quran al-Fajr recitation in the morning and also end your day with the recitation of the Holy Quran and especially 
the last three chapters of the Holy Quran is very, very important. Three times that should be recited. Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih al-Khamis, Sayyidullah Ta'ala bin Nasr aziz the worldwide MD Muslim community uh, imam, uh, the head has, uh, in several uh, prior sermons, has uh, given us uh, linking to the sunnah of the Holy Prophet that we should recite uh, the last three chapters while we are going to sleep or going to bed three times. Even uh, if a new convert does not uh, has not memorized these three chapters, that person at least could uh, uh, listen to the recording of these surahs uh, and uh, they uh, read the translation as well. And also try to memorize one line. Even one line will give you a, a mental strength. Is a, This is the best exercise for the brain to memorize. And the best activity, best routine is that one. And uh, on top of that, that whatever prayer you can do in your language, uh, your, your mother language, English, German, French, Urdu, whatever, you do your dua, your sincere intention, and make your routines and connect to your uh, eating and drinking and definitely uh, you will progress inshallah. And in terms of, I know you've already touched on it a little bit just with the previous question, but in terms of the some of the common challenges or obstacles that people face nowadays in, in you know, in finding time regularly, um, how can these be overcome? Um, my only advice based on my personal experience and uh, whomsoever I have advised that uh, link your targets with your necessities of life. For example, as I said, without drinking and eating our food, we cannot survive. We have to take that one. So this is if you connect that one and your uh, targets are uh, then connected as a, as a prize, as a prize for that one, that, that will be definitely you will be moving that one. And that is the great reminder on daily basis. Make your targets, make your uh, make a diary, uh, list of activities on your daily basis. Put that on a, in a proper place in a very, uh, where you can see multiple times that one. And then uh, as you take food for your physical body, then the study of the Holy Quran, reading of the Holy Quran, memorizing of the Holy Quran should be taken as a food for uh, your spiritual body, your, your religious body. Also, make uh, a sincere friendship or relationship with those people who are connected, already connected to the Holy Quran. And uh, in this uh, very busy uh, life uh, circles, you can do that uh, multiple times, multiple works at the same time. For example, uh, in the household, if, if a person is busy that one or in a driving, or waiting for the transport or making the journey while doing the, some exercise, walking, whatever you are doing that, at least you can, um, whatever you have memorized, even a small chapter or two, three chapters, you can revise that one, or even you can listen to that one. While, for example, you are driving or you are as a passenger or a driver, you can listen to the Holy Quran. You are walking, you are uh, waiting, that can be activated. So. Uh, two in one. And at at one time you are doing your normal job, but uh, your um, your you can use the power of healing in the service of the Holy Quran. You start with the first five or ten minutes on daily basis. When you make a good routine, then you can do that multiple ten minute session. It will keep you engaged. It will keep you connected, and it will uh, also. 
make your routine. Once you are on the routine, that will be part of your uh, your daily life, and inshallah, a per- person can progress. Wonderful. Um, Hafiz Fazrabi, we we are talking. Why is it necessary to read the Holy Quran? And if I may, for the benefit of our listener. At a young age, all children are encouraged to read the Holy Quran and only the Arabic. And they don't, obviously, at that age, understand what they're reading. Why is it so important to, to learn just the Arabic at, at, at the onset of life? Yeah, you see, we start because the, the Holy Quran is in Arabic and that is a very a part and parcel is uh, in our uh, community life, in our religious life, in the personal life. We start with that, uh, the word of Almighty, Almighty Allah. And in the beginning, in uh, when a person is young, that is the age of memorization. Whatever a person can memorize, can learn multiple languages at the same time, because at that time, that person's brain is like a sponge. Mm-hmm. So he can take that memorization. I myself, by the grace of Allah, just, you know, uh, in, the, in the response to this question, I memorized the entire Holy Quran at the age of 12. And at that time when I memorized, I didn't know even, uh, I can't remember that I knew the translation, split for translation or idiomatic translation, even Surah Al-Fatiha. But uh, I memorized complete of the Holy Quran. And then at the next stage, I started learning the split word translation, the grammar, the tafsir, exegetical studies. So... In, in the start, you just memorize. As a, a, a child, when it is born, uh, it, it comes to the world, he uh, memorizes the faces of uh, his mother, his father, relatives, and small uh, uh, expressions. And that after t- some time, uh, then a, a new uh, horizon is there. So um, a person should read the Holy Quran should understand afterwards and there are so many layers that will come but the starting point just to memorize just to learn as much as you can and because as uh, i read one of the sermons of the khalifa al-masih salis the third khalifa of the md muslim community the khalifa al-masih uh, that uh, the childhood the atfal or nasra that is the age of memorization and they should uh, uh, take the full benefit of that one because that kind of sponge, that kind of uh, the sharpness of mind will never come afterwards as we are now in the advancing in age. Uh, that uh, capacity is uh, not much because at that time, the reflection, the understanding, that increases, but uh, the power of memorization is not that much high as we as we have in the, in the time. Thank you for such a comprehensive answer. The next stage that you talked about layers of uh, over time, how important is the translation of 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 learning the translation and reading the translation of the Holy Quran? Yeah. Learning and reading the translation is very very important because the Holy Quran says, "Kitabun anzalnahu ilayka mubarakul that the book which we have revealed to you, we have given you, granted you, this is a very blessed book, I mean, Holy Quran, ayati, so that they may reflect and understand that one. If we do not understand, if we do not reflect upon uh, the Holy Quran, how we can translate that into our daily practice? So just reading by the Holy Quran is not enough because the Tilawat is a very comprehensive word. Allah Ta'ala says, 
الذين آتیناهم الكتاب يتلونه حق تلاوتی those who have been gifted who have been given this book they do its tilawat as its due right so tilawat does not only mean just uh, reading uh, the, the only the words tilawat means to follow when our understand follow the words then the real meaning of the tilawat there tilawat without understanding tilawat without reflection is not the real uh, the you know, practical step or real manifestation of tilawat so allah taala says that uh, a person should do tilawat multiple times in the holy quran and tilawat without understanding without uh, its uh, knowing this translation we cannot complete that circle of tilawat so it is very important we should know how to read the holy quran properly and know the translation and then reflection upon that one even if we know the translation the reflection and if the study of the holy quran is not activating multiple questions in your mind we are not progressing because the holy quran is a great knowledge boosting book if it creates questions and we find answers we are doing good study of the holy quran if it's not creating questions in our mind it means we are just ceremonial we are reading we are not taking full benefit of that and and finally what there are so many translations and and, and this question while you were answering the other question in in the world that we're living in today one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest um uh, problems we tend to have is that a lot of people take um the meaning of some translations in a literal way and some people take it metaphorical way what what is the what is the best way to understand the holy quran when you're trans, when you're listening uh, when you're reading the translation you see i think this is very very important question because uh, now there are many uh, bone of contention or disorder exactly. is uh, taking the holy quran uh, so literally yeah. uh, like uh, the concept of the hereafter the the the, the bounties the blessings of uh, jannah so many things they take literally uh, and that is why they are they are is a very wrong misconceptions in their minds and in their uh, uh their understanding so if we reflect on the holy quran uh we see that the major essence major uh, messages all are in metaphor metaphorical because this is a great book of different layers some things could be taken as a physical but there are many for example if we just open the uh, holy quran um in surah al-baqarah allah taala says khatam allahu ala qulubi wa ala sam'i that allah taala has put a seal on their hearts and uh, on uh, ala sam'i on their hearing and uh, we see that that can only be understood by in a metaphorical setting in metaphorical meaning similarly on each page there are some physical manifestation is mentioned and lot of majority uh, of message is in a metaphorical sense so uh, those uh, points which uh, have been translated or given in the ruhani khazain the books of the promised messiah alayhi wasallam or the understanding given to us by the successors of the promised messiah alayhi wasallam and the translations which md uh, muslim community provides um, that is the best uh, uh, translation where we can find the true message of the holy quran and where the the promised messiah alayhi wasallam categorically mentions 
that those things which have been mentioned in the Holy Quran with regards to the hereafter, the second life, and the bounting and the blessings and many other things, even in this life, uh, that uh, are just uh, Almighty Allah has mentioned to make us understand in through our language so that we may know that Allah is very bountiful and these uh, promises are going to be fulfilled. Uh, and um, um, the, the Holy Quran, is most of them, in, the, in a metaphorical language, the deep secrets have been mentioned. And we, through the lens of the promised Messiah, if we try to understand the Holy Quran, we be in a very middle way, meaning in a balanced approach with the Holy Quran, we can take the full maximum benefit. Otherwise, if you see that, um, if you listen to the recitation of the Holy Quran of outside the world, meaning wherever the punishment of the is mentioned about the nar, about the hell or other things, they start feeding. But when when there is a blessings of Almighty mentions, the attributes of Almighty Allah mentions, their heart does not uh, tremble with that one or they are not activated. So uh, they take all uh, these things in a physical form and when these are not uh, uh, manifested, sometimes they are more drifted away uh, from the Holy Quran. This is a very dangerous way to, to go. Finally, uh, one question um, that uh, I always have wanted to ask. We always talk about reading the Holy Quran, and one of the one of the most beautiful things that, especially uh, uh, nowadays, is sometimes we hear the the talawat you talked about, the recitations. So there are some beautiful recitations of of the Holy Quran. Is there any harm in in, in and is there any significance of? Yes, you're, you're, you're reading the Holy Quran, but to listen to it in a very beautiful voice, is, that, is there any importance to do that too? Yeah, definitely, because, you know, first of all, as the Holy Quran mentions that before we see our hearing power, the faculties that are activated, even before we come to this world. This is mentioned in Surah Al-Insan, Surah Al-Dahar, chapter 76 and many other places very very beautifully and eloquently so listening to the holy quran is very very important because that even a sightless, sightless person who is yeah. unable to read the physical copy of the holy quran he or that, uh, that person can listen and a person who does not understand the holy quran and the best example when we uh, when we are born for example the azan and ikamat is given to that person the baby is uh, sometime is uh, seeing something or most of the time uh, his uh, eyes are closed but uh, uh, the the islam and uh, the sunnah tells us that the the name of the almighty allah the message of almighty allah should be given even to that person so listening is very very important as it continues uh, or, the, or the, the the whole life especially we see that the, that the Muslimat, our uh, Muslim women, at certain time, they are not allowed to offer uh, daily prayers. But at that time, we can listen to, they can easily listen to the Holy Quran. Sometimes there are times when uh, the, the reading namaz is not allowed. For example, sun is rising or is in the zenith, in the pinnacle at that time. But in the 24 hours, the reading of the Holy Quran could be listened anytime. Okay. Wonderful. So, Wonderful. Great. Hafiz Fazarabi, thank you so much, sir, for taking time out and, and answering 
such fantastic questions in a comprehensive manner. I wish you a fantastic evening and a weekend ahead. May peace be with you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you so much. That was Imam and Hafiz Fazira. But you know, before we go on to our next guest, it's important to uh, to to uh, to to translate the word Hafiz. We talked about the authentication, why people believe, and why the Holy Quran uh, is still as it was when it was revealed. Is it's it's people like. Uh, the, the 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 eminent professor we just spoke to he's a hafiz he memorized the holy quran as he said at the age of 12 and people were memorizing the holy quran at that time and that practice has just grown over over years and centuries uh, which is a practice which you do not find with any other book where people have memorized the book um and and again this is another one way of God Almighty fulfilling His promise that, you know, He will be the the, the protector and the guardian of the, of the word. Let's go to our next guest. Uh, we have with us Imam Rabib Mirza. Good afternoon, welcome, Assalamualaikum, and peace be on you, Imam Rabib. Thank you so much for taking time out and coming on to the Drive Time Show. for having you once again. Uh, a, a familiar voice uh, we have with us, uh, Imam Rabib. Individuals, um, how can individuals integrate Quranic reading into uh, daily activities, especially for those with busy schedules, uh, to ensure a continuous connection with the Holy Quran? Or sometimes I wonder, or maybe it's my age, as Brother Daniel keeps telling me, we just look for excuses. Um. It's a, again, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, to recite the Holy Quran and to implement it in your daily lives, there has to be uh, persistency, and obviously there has to be a continuation. Now, for example, you know, someone's threshold could be that they can only read, let's say, just for example, that they can read uh, one verse of the Holy Quran, um, but they're consistent in that. Or there's other people that read a whole, um, you can say, ruku, which which comprises, I mean, you know, different rukus comprise of a certain amount of uh, Quranic verses, some would amount to 20, some 30, some more, some less. So they're able to complete um, that one ruku. And then there's uh, other people, um, you know, <coughs> Uh, there's an elderly gentleman, um, you know, who we're, we were all familiar with when we grew up, um, the late uh, Dean Sahib, as, as we called him so lovingly. Um, you know, he had a practice that he would uh, finish the, the Holy Quran, um, you know, within uh, a week or so. So there's different levels of, of consistency, and obviously it depends on, on your threshold. But again, the the whole thing to remember is that consistency. Now, whatever you've recited as well, um, again, it should not be that you just merely rely on the Arabic as well, because the promised Messiah, uh, peace be upon him, has also mentioned that apart from just reciting the Arabic, one should try to learn the translation of the Holy Quran, and thereafter, one should try to read up the commentary because it's not only enough just to read the Arabic. Now, for example, 
those of us that are not, <coughs> that uh, their first language or their mother tongue is not Arabic, of course we will need um, the translation and the commentary to understand uh, the Holy Quran. And of course there's no harm in that. That's the way that we are actually trying to understand what God Almighty desires from us, or whatever we are reading, for example, let's say it's a, it's an incident of the past. Why has God Almighty mentioned this particular prophet? What was the need for mentioning this particular story? So the Holy Quran is not a a you know book of fables and mm, tales. Um, it's a living book. So once you try to be persistent in that regard, and then obviously inculcate it within their lives. And in terms of um, beyond just the traditional reading, what other practices or methods would you recommend to individuals to you know, add variety to their engagement with the Quran and also to prevent monotony in their reading habits? Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's, there's so many different uh, ways. Um, in, in relation to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community that we're part of, um, you know, we're very blessed that we have our own TV channel, uh, MTA International, um, and especially during the, the month of Ramadan, the various discourses of the Holy Quran, the commentary of, of the Holy Quran, um, delivered by the late uh, Mirza Tahir Ahmed, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, that's televised. One should, um, you know, derive benefit from that. Then throughout the year, um, you know, His uh, Holiness Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed as well, he also uh, delivered discourses of the Holy Quran based upon just the simple mm-hmm. translation. So the translation of the Holy Quran. So they're played throughout the week on, on different days, and one can benefit from that. Of course, um, you know, it's not only watching it on TV at home, but even now, um, in this particular day and age, we're extremely fortunate that we have those you know, devices that can uh, hook up to the Bluetooth of our cars, and then just, you know, whilst driving along, let's say you're driving a long distance along the A3, you can listen to those discourses, um, you know, that those translations. That's actually one way that you can um, derive benefit from the Holy Quran as well as, as you mentioned, that sometimes it could become monotonous. But these are also ways to gauge your um, um, your interest, and also it's a means for you to excel in your understanding and knowledge of the Holy Quran. And in terms of, for those who may feel like a spiritual disconnect um, from the Quran, what kind of strategies would you recommend to overcome these barriers? I know maybe one would be translation, but maybe that, and maybe what other methods would you sort of suggest to help rekindle that sort of connection? So it's it's absolutely necessary that one should re- recite um or oh, sorry, read the commentary of, of the Holy Quran. That's mm-hmm. one way that can actually gauge your interest. Sometimes, yes, you may feel some mm-hmm. disconnection, but the disconnection is sometimes there just because, let's say, a person's f- 
first language is not Arabic. Um, and then thereafter, if, if you just read the simple translation, you may not you know, specifically know what is being talked about. Um, as, uh, you know, my, uh, my esteemed professor, uh, Hafiz Fazir Rabbi, who also taught us the Holy Quran, and Allah bless him for that, and he's taught, you know, um, many scores of people uh, the Holy Quran. He's, you know, taught um, many parts of the world teaching people the Holy Quran. So, uh, you know, the as he was mentioning that there are certain misconceptions that are born just from the literal meaning of the Holy Quran or the literal understanding of the Holy Quran. So it's necessary, absolutely necessary, that we understand what God Almighty is stating within the Holy Quran. Now, I just mentioned, for example, the stories that God Almighty has mentioned Prophet Joseph. He's mentioned the story of Prophet Joseph. He's mentioned the story of uh, Prophet uh, Shoeb. He's mentioned the the story of uh, um, Prophet Lot. He's mentioned the story of Prophet Abraham. What is the need for mentioning these stories? And how do they actually help us within our lives as well? Now, the fact of the matter is that, just one example, like Prophet Abraham, the way that he uh, exposed the idols to the idolaters, where once he had broken them, he gave a very beautiful and a very logical way for them to understand, even though they did not understand, that their idolatry is useless. Where he said to them that since you worship the idols, you can ask the big one from amongst them that who's broken the idols. So again, this helps us in in our ways of outreach. It's not that, God forbid, we're going to go out and, and, and break uh, the idols all around the world. It's just a way that God Almighty has taught us very logical means about how to actually bring mankind back towards Him. Because obviously, the worship of idols, or and, and in this day and age, idols don't necessarily have to be those idols made of, of uh, you know, rocks and, and different forms of, of stones. There's different forms of idols in this age, right? So God Almighty has taught us how to actually bring mankind back towards Him, and even ourselves. Sometimes we are worshipping certain idols in our hearts, and, and we don't even, even realize it sometimes. So there's certain stories that God Almighty has mentioned in the Holy Quran, of course, apart from the commandments of the do's and don'ts, that when we reflect upon them, we really have to understand why God Almighty is mentioning these things. So it's not the case that one should only rely on just the mere translation. One should study the commentary. One should understand why these specific words have been used. Now, you know, there's a, the, the bone of contention regarding the, the life and death of Jesus. Of course, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community believes that Jesus is dead, whereas some... Um, you know, denominations within uh, Islam, a majority of them, they consider that Jesus is alive. Now, 
again, one word, for example, the word of Rafa is something that is used as a bone of contention. Now, our understanding is, and, and one should reflect that why, what's the, what's the reason why God Almighty has used the word Rafa? And then we understand that, of course, there were certain allegations against Jesus. So in such a beautiful manner, and the placement of the word Rafa is so beautiful in itself that whatever allegations were raised by the evil Jews of, of the time of, of Jesus, God Almighty totally annihilated and totally um, you know, demystified those allegations just through the word of Rafa. God Almighty said that, no, whatever allegations you are raising against my beloved, that's not correct. Rather, he is a beloved of mine and he is close to me. So these are just you know, very simple ways in which if we read the commentary of the Holy Quran, they will understand what exactly God Almighty is trying to teach us and tell us. Yeah, and just before we leave you, um, is there any sort of recommendations uh, for books in terms of, I know you said read commentaries and translations, so are there any specific ones you'd recommend? So, in uh, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim uh, community, of course we have, um, you know, in, in the English language, we have the five-volume commentary, we have the short commentary, we have the commentary of the first chapter of the Holy Quran, Surah Fatiha, um, then in Urdu we have, uh, you know, the grand exegesis known as Tafsir Kabir by the second caliph. We also have um, a compilation uh, of the commentary of certain verses of the Holy Quran as uh, expounded by the Holy Founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, the Promised Messiah. Um, then, you know, the, by the grace of God, uh, the Holy Quran has now been translated into... 76 languages by our community and then of course apart from that you know the the commentaries of of the past um the scholars of the past the beautiful commentaries uh, that they have written um you know imam razi uh, his uh, tafsir kabir um you know it's 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 an amazing amazing um commentary then we have uh, uh mansoor um, so we have these different commentaries as well by the scholars of the past. So one can also read them as well. Uh, the, f- the main purpose, again, of reciting and reading the Holy Quran is so that one can grow closer to God. You know, this should actually be the objective. As we know that sometimes when you want to connect with a person, you write a letter to them. So this is our letter from God Almighty to us. God Almighty has given us all the do's and don'ts in this letter, which is the Holy Quran. And so the whole reason why he's given and sent this to us is so that we can connect with him, we can understand him, we can understand what he desires from us. And only once we understand what he desires from us, you know, then we can become good uh, people in the world. And also we can establish peace and justice in the world, which unfortunately the world is lacking um, at this very time. Imam Rabib, uh, I know uh, Usman said it was the last question, but I promise this is the last question. <laughs> uh, we, we, we talked about how busy it is you, and, and, and how so many people can't find the time and, and you know, you eloquently explained how we should do it and, and, and the, so did the previous guest. But 
there are there are sometimes people who don't read the Holy Quran, and you just just mention how it's it's a way to communicate and link with God Almighty. But is there a is there a flip side of for people who do not read the Quran? Um, in one sense, yes. Um, you know, if you don't, if you don't recite the the Holy Quran, because even we know that the Promised Messiah mentioned uh, on one occasion, and even the uh, Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, mentioned that reciting the Holy Quran in um, you know in a, in a beautiful and melodious uh, voice is a form of worship. So why would one want to deprive themselves of worship? You know, as as the promised Messiah has mentioned that God, God Almighty, um, the door of salvation uh, to God Almighty, the door of having your sins forgiven, uh, they are numerous. And if this is one form of worship whereby we can gain that salvation, then why should we deprive deprive ourselves of that? Of course, one who doesn't recite the Holy Quran, they're going to be, um, you know, ignorant of uh, what the commandments of God Almighty are. And, you know, the most of the issues that we very unfortunately, extremely unfortunately, we don't say this with, with any pride, um, but with utmost grievance in our hearts, and, and, and we pray that God Almighty alleviate the, the plight of, of, of the Muslims, the Muslims, the, the Islamic countries in, in totality, you know, if there's any issues within them, it's because they have not understood the Word of God. Mm. Had they understood the Word of God, they would not be in this situation. So, of course, there are so many numerous blessings that one can gain from reciting the Holy Quran, and the it's, it's before us. Those that have remained attached to the Holy Quran, God Almighty has granted them success upon success, and it's a means for them to lead the world. Now, I'll just 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 before I go, I'll I'll give you one example, one very simple example. Once um, uh, a Pakistani envoy, they came to meet um, Mao Zedong, uh, and uh, you know, of course, uh, the this was the, the Chinese the, premier, the Chinese premier. But, you know, certain people allege certain things against him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's, that's not the, the case here. They asked him that, how did you gain success in, in China? So he said, well, you have the Holy Quran, and if you go according to it, you will gain success. And that's the same thing that I've done. So whether Allah knows best, um, you know what of how much he actually implemented the Holy Quran to gain that success, but he himself, not being a Muslim, just as uh, you know, just as a leader, he told the the Pakistani envoy who were Muslims that what are you asking me when you have the Holy Quran? You know, act according to that, and you gain that success. So I don't think there's there's anything more that mm-hmm. that needs to be said. If one desires success, it can only be through following the commandments of God Almighty. And how can we follow the commandments of God Almighty? It's by reciting the Holy Quran, trying to learn, you know, its teachings, and then acting according, uh, accordingly to it. Wonderful, Imam Rabib. Always, as always, thank you so much for 
taking time out for the Drive Time Show. I wish you a fantastic evening and a weekend ahead. May peace be with you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. for having me. Thank you, We are coming up uh, to the hour in conclusion. Divine inspiration, central theme of repairing the God-human relationship and the aim to glorify God Almighty. It emphasizes surrender, commitment and submission, highlighting key beliefs and warning against disobedience. Essential for life's purpose, moral guidance and spiritual values. Neglect leads to negative consequences. Prophecies impact on daily life and forbidding negative behaviors are crucial. Reading, reading even without full understanding benefits mental and physical health, as we have just heard from both of our guests. So in short, it's the complete guide and that's why we need it. It literally addresses every aspect. And I just wanted to actually add one thing now, but I know we are coming to the end, but quickly, there's a narration of the uh, Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, peace be upon him, that whoever basically reads the Quran and finds it difficult, so th- I'll read the wording actually, that he who finds it hard to read the Quran will have a double reward. So I know there might be people there thinking, oh, I, have, I struggle, or maybe I'll read half as much as someone who's more fluent, but actually just putting the effort in and trying will earn you double the reward. And then on top of that, it says that Everywhere, every letter that you read, it's worth ten good deeds. So, and by ten good deeds, good deeds, it's not like alif la meem is one is one letter, but alif is a letter, lam is a letter, and meem is a letter. So, just by those three words, you've you've got thirty good deeds. And overall, it's it's a way of life. And another thing that I think is not really usually un, maybe looked upon or understood is that, for example, um. In the Quran, it actually teaches you how to even treat people, whether they be relative, kin or not, or just anyone. So, for example, uh, the first level of treatment, which is known as adalis, if someone does something good to you, do it back. And then the second is you initiate the goodness. And the third is you do it out of the kindness of the heart with no feeling of you've done anything positive like a mother does with a child. Wonderful. Just to finish off, uh, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, the best of you are those who learn the Holy Quran and teach it. Just want to thank uh, Brother Daniel, Brother Usman for joining me today. Mm-hmm. Thank you to Sitwat Mirza and Aisha Malik for producing uh, the two shows today. Thank you to Brother Shahriyar in uh, in tech, without who we wouldn't be able to be on air. Thank you to our guests who took time out and, uh, and put substance um, into the subject matters that we discussed today. Please uh, have, uh, please be safe. Please forgive any shortcomings on our part. Please remember us all in your prayers. Please don't stop talking about Palestine. Until next time, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.